within a week, the product became viral. We started getting calls from all over the world. We were setting pallets of products, opening new markets, crazy. Um, and that was one of the pivotal moments in the business. I think if we didn't take the risk to name the product snake serum and we named it anti-aging serum, we may have gone out of business by now. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 167 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I welcome entrepreneur, businesswoman, mentor, best-selling author, and fellow podcast host, Maria Hatsistafanis. Maria founded a groundbreaking skincare group, Rodial, in 1999 by identifying a niche for treatments targeted to specific skin concerns. Her growing global beauty empire includes two brands, Rodial plus Nip and Fab, is sold through 20,000 doors across 35 countries through the likes of Harrods, Harvey Nichols and Saks Fifth Avenue. Her products have evocative names such as Dragon's Blood and Snake Serum and has high profile celebrities such as Kylie Jenner and Sophia Ritchie fronting the brand's campaigns. Maria is a patron of the British Fashion Council and is heavily involved in supporting and promoting young emerging talent and promoting British fashion. If you're one of her near 1 million followers on Instagram at Mrs. Rodial, you can see where this passion comes from. Maria is also known for her mentoring and entrepreneurial guidance, where most recently she was a judge for the BFC Vogue Fashion Fund, as well as guest appearances as a mentor on US fashion series Project Runway. As a highly successful businesswoman, she's become a respected and sought-after opinion leader and is increasingly in demand to speak at fashion and business conferences. She's also the author of the best-selling book, How to Be an Overnight Success, and hosts her own podcast show, Overnight Success, both of which I highly, highly recommend. I met up with Maria at her Rodeo HQ in London, where after talking about podcasts for nigh on half an hour, we dive straight into her journey as an entrepreneur and the reasons behind her incredible success. Let's start up. So Rodeo is now a $90 million business with products in 35 countries. Um, but back in 1999, when you started, what did you know about starting a business and what did you know about developing beauty products? Nothing. Uh, let's take a step back on where everything started. I was always passionate about fashion and beauty. Uh, my first job was a 
writer for Seventeen magazine back in Greece, where I'm from. Um, and I did a bit of beauty writing there. I did that for a year. Um, but I felt I, I needed to learn more about business. <clears throat> so um, I moved on and, and started a business degree. When I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And of all places, I ended up in banking. Um, I did that for a year. It was very frustrating because everyone else was reading the Financial Times and I was reading Vogue. So I really didn't fit in, in that culture. <laughs> then one day I got called into the boardroom and I got fired. And you know what? I was devastated, but this was the best thing that ever happened to me. It made me realize that banking and finance wasn't the right career for me. Um, and that's when I decided to start my own business. Now, what's very ironic is the first thing when you start a business, is, it's all about financing. How are you going to finance it? And coming from a finance background, I thought that would be the easiest thing. So I go... Um, um, I go on um, Google, 20, I find 20 VCs, and I send everyone emails. Um, I get eight responses back. I have three meetings, and I get zero investment. So mm. here I am, an ex-banker, not yeah. being able to get financing. Um, but then I had this conversation with, with, with my husband, and he said, well, um, why don't you start small? You, you don't have to go big. Start from the back room at home. You have some savings. Um, you'll be based at home. You won't need to pay rent um, or employees, and just see where you can go. So it all started really small from the back room at home, and all self-financed. All self-financed. Yeah. And just you, no co-founder? Um, it was just me. Um, my husband had always been a co-owner of the business, uh, okay. but he didn't really um, get involved up until five years ago when he's, he's now the CFO. So he, okay. he, he joined at the end. He's all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what were the kind of first steps that you did then um, for actually creating the beauty products themselves? Um, so what I, um, I really knew was um, what is the gap in the market that I'm trying to fill? I was mm. very clear about that. I was very specific. And I saw there was a gap for a skincare range that would offer targeted treatments to specific skin concerns from um, fine lines around the eyes to dark circles to pigmentation. I wanted specific solutions. So um, what I did was um, found a number of trade shows that were specializing in beauty. There's one in Italy, in Bologna called Cosmoprof. That's the biggest cosmetics trade show. Mm -hmm. And I went there and I spent two days walking around and visiting every single stand, trying to find a lab a contact manufacturer, packaging suppliers, packaging designers. So within 48 hours, I pretty much got uh, probably 100 business cards <laughs> and lots of follow-up to do, but I got a lot of contacts, a lot of resources, and that was really the starting point. Okay. Um, and very different these days when you're trying to find a distribution channel for your business. Back then, just retail. I'm assuming. Yes. Um, yeah. And how did you get your products in the first uh, shop, so to speak? 
So the first um, um, the first shop I got my products in was uh, Phoenix in Bond Street. Uh, now, not coming from a beauty background, I I was a little bit naive. I thought that I will come up with some beautiful products. I will go to the store. They will see how amazing they were, and they will give me lots of space. Um, well, it doesn't really work like that. There's other brands, there's competition, you need to prove yourself, all that. Uh, but I did manage, that was probably a year and a half into starting the business. Um, I went to this meeting with, with a buyer at, at Phoenix, and I think she felt sorry for me. <laughs> I was at the point <laughs> I was really begging for something. And she said, I'm going to give you a tiny shelf about sort of... 20 centimeters you can put four products in there you have six months to make it work or you're out wow so um what i did to make sure that it worked i um i would go to the store um work on the business monday to friday and every saturday i would go to the store to sell my products mm-hmm. um and i had to do this every single saturday um and yeah you, you just have to put a lot of work and and I had to do everything one woman show yeah and, and how, how long did it take for you to start getting some traction building a bit of momentum with the sales um, we got some sales from from Phoenix and and that really worked out really well um, and then it was all about just growing the business and trying to get into more retailers mm. um, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people ask me, how long does it take for a business to become established? And I think that you need anything between two to five years to be legit. Okay. Um, And what was the first hire you made then in the business? It was just you doing absolutely everything. What was the first thing that you thought, I actually want to outsource this part of the business? Two things. Uh, The first thing that I did, and that was pretty much within a month of starting the business, I hired a part-time accountant and she she would come to my home office once a month to do the books because I I knew I'm I'm in no position to be doing accounting right now (laughs) so that was the first thing and then the second person I brought in who was actually transformational for my business and I brought her in even before I could afford her was a sales manager yeah. And I brought in a sales manager the minute that we we hit Phoenix, even though I knew that we didn't have the volume of stores to justify a sales manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take that risk in bringing someone on board thinking this person can come in and not just manage this one store that we have, but help me grow the business and open more doors. Um, and in general, with the business, every time I bring in the right people, that's when I see that we can scale up and we can grow. It's all down to people. Uh, and have you found that difficult, the hiring process? It's a learning curve, the hiring process. Um, I've become better with time and I I can very quickly scan through a CV and look for red flags and Mm. um, and equally find someone who I can feel can come and be passionate and be loyal to the business. Uh, But it's always it's always a trial and error. There's a lot of people who interview really well. Mm. And then when they start, you're like, what just happened? (laughs) Different different person. (laughs) Different person. Mm. 
It's, it's, it's a process and I feel that anyone who's an entrepreneur out there interviewing and hiring and, and putting the teams together, it's something that you can just not um, delegate. You have to be involved 100% because it's your company, it's your culture. Mm. Um, you need to make sure that the team around you has the same vision. They're, they will be supportive because, you know, in a business you have good times and bad times. And yeah. if the team is right, if the team has the same passion as you are, you can go through challenges and, and, and get on the other side. Um, yeah, so team is everything. So you still have involvement hiring at the moment? I am, yes. Um, yeah. When it comes to senior people, yeah. I sit through all the interviews, but even for a junior person, an admin person, I would pop in for five minutes really? just for a quick hello yeah, okay. um, and just um, to support my team. But mm. I do see I would say 90% of the people we hire, I see them even for five minutes. Um, I'm interested to know, when you started, was your vision at the time as big as Radial is now? Could you imagine it? No. Um, I, I have to say that my vision only goes as far as 12 months. That's okay. all I can see. Mm. Re one of the key reasons is we're still a private company so we're not swimming in cash to be able to say uh, we're going to open 15 new stores this year we're going to do xyz or hire another 100 people we have a very specific budget we need to work with and and having this budget um, what I can do is look at the next 12 months this is something I've done even from day one so when I started we had one store and I said what is my goal for the next 12 months? I want to open three more wholesale stores here in London, and I want to increase my team by three people. I want to do X amount of revenue. This is what I could do. This is the budget that I had. I drove the business, and pretty much every year we achieved more or less what the target was. And the next year it would be, okay, now we're going to expand and open two more countries. Uh, and every year we go like that. So in a way, if I look back, I never thought Rodial would be where it is today. But I also, even now, I don't want to think where we'll be 10 years from now. I'm, I'm more about where we're going to be 12 months from now. Yeah. Um, and how many countries are you in now, to say? We are in um, 35 countries. And is that 35 physical stores in those countries or through like concessions? Right. So it's um, the way that um, it works a lot with the beauty industry is um, you can run your own business in one country or you can go through a distributor. Mm. Um, a lot of what happens in the beauty industry goes through distributors when it comes to international. And this is the model that we have selected ourselves. Um, so that means that you have, um, let's take Italy, for example. There is a distributor there in Italy. And what we do is we sell them the product. The margins are um, much lower for us. So it, it could go up to 80, 85% right. margins, um, which are quite high. Mm. But then that means that they do all the work. So they buy the product from you, they take it to the stores, um, they promote it, they sell it, they do the PR, um, they deal with any issues there locally, they do the training. Um, and that means that all the money that you get from this distributor is profit. 
Yeah, you have okay. no risk. Mm. So this is a great way for um, a company to grow because you know that the risk is very limited when you have a distributor. Now, it's not all perfect because when you have a distributor, you can't really drive the business the way that you would have driven it, driven it if it was yours. Mm. Um, so it has the pros and cons, but especially in countries that are, you don't speak the same language or it's a different culture, it makes sense to go with a distributor. And what did you do with Greece? It was one of the first countries, um, and we do have a distributor there as well. Okay, yeah. um, it's just interesting, like different industry. We're chatting to Ted Baker founder Ray Kelvin, and him saying that he thought they'd survived what's happened to a lot of the high street because everybody thought they owned hundreds of stores, but they literally owned something like about thirteen. And okay. The rest were just concessions inside other stores. Okay. Um, instead of being like highly leveraged in that regards, mm. um, I think this year has been the first year that they've actually felt that. But that probably for a variety of reasons mm. that have uh, made their way to the press. Um, and I read that getting into Harvey Nicks was the first big break you got, and then the launch of the snake serum took your business to the next level. What steps did it take you to get into Harvey Nichols to start yeah. with? Because a lot of people want to know that. <laughs> yeah, um, it was always my dream to get my products into Harvey Nichols. It was the minute I started the business, I wanted my products there. Right. Now, what I did, um, here I am in my little office. I prepared the box, a box of products, handwritten note. I sent it to them. Next day, I follow up with an email. I don't hear back. Um, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm calling, I'm not getting any response. Um, am I disappointed? Yes. But anyway, I, I just, I didn't want to take it personally, gave it some time. And what I wanted to do is, is collect a little bit more of um, um, some of the press that we did, some of the articles, uh, develop the range and went back to them again a year later. So the same, beautiful box, more products, a beautiful press portfolio, a handwritten card, email them. This year I get a response. And they're saying, um, oh, thank you for your products. We love them. Unfortunately, we don't have space for you this year. Um, so to, to cut the long story short, this kept on happening. And it, I was sending the products every year, all the updates, all the excitement. Year seven, I get a response. Uh, Thank you for sending us your products. We would like to meet you. Hmm. I could not believe it. So I went in, we had a meeting. They loved the products. Again, they gave me a small amount of space and six months to prove myself. That's always the standard. You have six Six months. months. Um, So got my resources. I went there selling. By that time, I did have a slightly bigger team. So I was able to afford having full-time staff to go and promote the product. And um, what's really interesting with this account is I was hustling for seven years to get a little shelf. And we put so much work into this account that this actually became our first flagship counter. Okay. Um, five years later, mm. and and this is the, the first ever counter that we've ever launched in the world, um, and I'm very very proud of that because yeah, it was a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work, mm. um, and you know what? Throughout my career, I always um, I welcome no's when people 
tell me, no, you can't do this. I want to work so much harder to turn that no into a yes. So that no that I was getting from Harvey Nicks was really driving me mm. to be better, to get better, pro- improve my products, get more press, get more buzz and, and be at a place that they really want me. You sound quite driven. I am, yeah. <laughs> and determined. Um, and, and what was different um, about the, the launch you did for the, the snake serum that made it such a success? It must have been a, a combination of factors, not just one thing, I'm assuming, mm. that, was, that was different. Can you put your finger on it there? Um, yeah, well, um, it, was, uh, it was year five of running the business. We were in, in our first tiny office. I had a couple of employees. The business was doing fine. Um, it, it, I, I didn't know where the business was going, actually. It was doing fine. It wasn't doing great. Um, and we needed something. We needed something to give me the faith that I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I get this uh, brown box from the lab. Um, we were going to launch our first ever anti-aging serum. So I opened the box. Here's a sample. I tried the sample. Really good. Um, we had the sample packaging and it, it said um, anti-aging serum. And I was like, oh my God, are we going to compete with the Estee Lauders and the Lancomes? It's another anti-aging serum. Mm. What is there for us to say? How is this different? I go through the list of ingredients and one of the ingredients related to Viper Venom. So I say, let's just call the product snake serum. My team was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you're gonna take us out of business, this is crazy. But we went with it, we capitalized on the name. Um, We did a photo shoot with snakes. We put together some brochures. Back in the day, we had brochures and we went all in with it. Um, Within a week, the product became viral. We started getting calls from all over the world. We were setting pallets of products, opening new markets, crazy. Um, and that was one of the pivotal moments in the business. I think if we didn't take the risk to name the product Snake Serum and we named it Anti-Aging Serum, we may have gone out of business by now. Really? I honestly think Do this you? is the product that put us on the map. Wow. And it, it was a big risk. Mm. I mean, who calls a product snake serum? Yeah, absolutely. Come back and bite you. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of, my wife struck the products and I'm trying to remember the name of the lady who owns business um, with the bee sting facials. Mm-hmm. I think what that's called. Um, and just the fact that that differentiated her product so much from, from every other facial that was out there. Yeah. That, automatically from a market it's a marketer's dream to have something to then take, yeah. that, take that to the market um and how do you innovate in an industry that in 2019 is probably saturated with products um do you still look to solve problems or just look to improve what's already out there has everything been invented? <laughs> yeah, no, that is uh, that is a good question. Um, and we've had lots of conversations here in the business of where do we go with our new product development? Um, one of the things that um, I do is I look at it as a consumer. I'm, I'm very different to a lot of other beauty company founders because I am not a makeup artist. And so I come into this business from a point of view of a consumer, have a very different point of view. Mm. Um, So if there's a product that I need and I feel I'm missing, I create it. Um, As a business, we probably come up 
for Rodia with about 50 product ideas. Um, we take them all, we run them through, we get the samples, get the packaging, and a couple of months before the launch, we look at it again. Are we excited about the product? Is it filling a gap? If this was in the market, would we go, all go out there and buy it? Um, if the answer is yes, we launch it. We have dropped products two months before the launch because it, they just didn't feel exciting. They didn't feel they were doing anything. Uh, but I also, especially over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm very conscious about creating products that women and men can use um, for many years to come. Um, I'm very much opposed to everything that's about fast fashion and fast beauty and launching thousands of products every year, all mm. trend-led and waiting to see what sticks. Uh, for me, it's all about quality and we're at a point, people don't need a lot. And I want to make sure everything we launch has a place. Um, it has been created with a lot of passion, love, and excitement from our team, and it solves a problem. So yeah. we've become a lot more selective recently. Mm. And I, I saw, I think it might have been on your Insta story, um, again, I don't know how long ago you launched it, but the CBD drops, I said, featured quite a lot. Yeah, last week, so it's, uh, oh, it's, it's brand new. It's okay. a brand new product. Funny that you mentioned this because the excitement that we've had with CBD, we haven't had this excitement since, since snake serum. Wow, interesting. Um, we've sold out three times in Selfridges within the first day of launching. And I cannot say this for a lot of the other products that we've launched over the last 10 years. Mm. I'm it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy hit. The yeah. right product, the right time. The right product, the right time, the mm. right positioning. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's, I do think that it's CBD, yes, there is a, a, a trend story going on with CBD right now, but I, I do strongly believe in the product and I think CBD will become the next classic. Yeah, 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 interesting. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong again, you manage your, do you manage your, um, is it the Mrs. Rodeo? channel yourself on social yes so we have two different channels we have the rodial beauty that my team manages um the mrs rodial channel um on instagram i manage it myself and it's it's a platform that um takes me away from beauty in a way um, if you look at it, there's not a lot of beauty. You won't see or me fashion. doing beauty tutorials. Yes, yeah, and yeah. It, it's, um, I'm, I'm really passionate about design and fashion and, and it, it seems to resonate with the group of the community that I've created there and they come to me more for fashion than anything else. But I was really um, adamant that I don't want to use my platform to push product all the time. Yeah. Uh, there will be, if, if I'm excited about something, if we're doing a launch, but you're not going to see a series of beauty products all over because that's, I, it's not the way to connect with, with, um, um, with our audience out there. It's, mm -hmm. You need something deeper. You need something where you give value and, yeah. and you give inspiration and it, it goes mm -hmm. away and it's, it's, it's much bigger than the product. And do you think that's a similar audience who would go and uh, read your book, listen to your podcasts? I definitely think it's it's the audience that would read the book and listen to the podcast. Um, they could be curious and interested about the product, and and it's fine, but that's not the aim. 
Okay, so that's cool, yeah. So um, tell me a little bit more about where the inspiration came for your book and also for the podcast, being obviously a podcaster myself. I'm very interested to know uh, your experience. Um, okay, so for the book, um, over the last few years, I've been through certain uh, very challenging situations at work, whether it's dealing with my team, um, whether it's launching a new product and everything falling apart the day before the launch, or working with certain celebrities, like we've, we've worked with Kylie Jenner a couple of times and, and we had some um, ups and downs until we got there. Um, so every time something crazy happened, I would write down about it. Uh, it, it made me reassess the situation and then I would put down a list of lessons learned and how I would have dealt with that scenario if this was to happen again. Mm. So um, I started writing random pieces of, I don't know, it was kind of a therapy, I guess. Yeah. Um, and after I, I put together a bunch of them, I thought, mm, you know, this could be this could be good as a book. So um, I put a storyline together and that's where the book came came about. Yeah, it wasn't planned. It wasn't something that um, I had in my mind that I would ever do. I never thought I would be an author. Mm -hmm. um, so I've done the book. And what was interesting is the, um, so the book is called How to Be an Overnight Success. Um, following the book, I started getting a lot of follow-up questions on Instagram. Um, can you give us some more tips or can you go into a bit more uh, depth into that chapter of your book or we have follow-up questions? And I thought, how can I better communicate with, with my audience and moving away from just a comment on Instagram? Mm. Um, I've been a fan on podcasts for a while. I'm a fan of your podcast, as you know. You and I thought, let me get on this platform. And, and what I wanted to do is um, I've done 30 episodes. I've done a season one that uh, starts some of the topics from the book and takes them a little bit deeper. Um, and it, it's a little bit more of a interactive platform so as I was getting all the feedback on Instagram I was coming up with the episode and that was uh, a very exciting process so we've done season one and I will be working on season two for next year and you've and you've mixed it up I see as well because I see you've got like Q&A episodes and then you've got your interviews that like we're talking about like makeup artists exactly very much like what you do so um, I've I had some amazing people that I've met over the last few years that uh, I felt they had a lot to share about their journey of how they became successful. Um, and I've complemented that with some solo episodes where I um, talk about a specific subject that was of um, interest to me at that time or based on some Instagram feedback. Um, and it's, it's a nice combination of guests and solo episodes. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and just to finish up then, best way that people connect with you, would it be through the Instagram channel? Um, yes, well, um, I'm on Mrs. Rodial um, on Instagram. I've also started working LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I've had, that. Yeah, and I've had this crazy <laughs> thing happen to me that my account on Instagram got hacked about a month ago and I didn't have access to my Instagram for 48 hours. Um, and then at that point, I thought, you know what, we're putting all our eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. I really need to start diversifying. Yeah. And I'm in the process of um, 
exploring LinkedIn and, and Twitter. And I feel we should all be looking at various social media channels rather than focus on one um, and just tap into different audiences. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Instead of like a private company like a Facebook or Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, you know, literally owning all of those followers. That's scary. Which is scary. scary. Whereas podcasts, you think you've got them across 15 different platforms from Spotify mm. to iTunes, da, 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 da. It just makes total sense. So it sounds like you're doing the right thing. You well, yeah, we've connected on LinkedIn and I, yeah. and I enjoy your posts and I will um, hopefully I'll, I'll learn a lot um, from you. Well, I honestly could have spoken to Maria all afternoon, be that talking podcasts or just talking entrepreneurship in general um, and how she's achieved what she has done. Uh, also, highly recommend um, her podcast, Overnight Success. I particularly enjoyed um, two of the episodes, one on overwhelm and the other one on rejection. Um, she's done one series of those, so I strongly advise you to check out Maria's podcast overnight success a couple of things to um to bring to your attention team being everything really interested in that number of other entrepreneurs i've spoken to um have mentioned that as well really interesting how the successful entrepreneurs seem to keep their finger on the pulse when it comes to recruitment um having personal interest in everybody that's recruited to that business um, and keeping control of the team culture. Vision, really interesting that she can only, um, or she decides to look at the next 12 months. Um, I think a lot of us are, are guilty of trying to plan three, five, 10 year plans. And you've got to be able to be to be agile. Um, you've got to be able to be super uber focused. And I think 12 months um, is a great call. So seven years to reach a number one goal of getting a product into Harvey Nick. So touched on this in a recent podcast episode. You've got to be in it for the long haul, guys. Um, there is no such thing as an overnight success. Seven years, Maria hustled and grafted to get that goal um, and didn't quit until she got it. So I'm back from the European Startup Festival in Malmo, Sweden, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, and it really brought home to me what a difference it is in actually going to a physical event, connecting with people, um, sharing ideas, sharing strategies. Um, we've got the annual summit put on for you, listeners of this podcast. Um, it's going to be held on the 17th of October in Bournemouth at the UK's number one Hilton Hotel. You can get tickets and full information by going um, to my partner's website, um, which is sunnybirdpr.com forward slash summit. Um, you can also follow me at Alex Chisnell, as you know by now, on all forms of social at Alexander Chisnell on Insta. Um, and see all my posts about this event, all the amazing speakers we've got, um, what you'll be getting out of it, what you can expect on the day. So just go there, check it out. We'd love to see you there in person. It's a once a year event, so we really hope to, uh, to meet you in person. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. 
You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. <laughs>